Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 293 of the World's Most Dangerous Podcast. Joining me this week, it's actually the second time this week, if you heard our recent Patreon exclusive episode, my buddy Chris Garber. How are you today, Chris? I'm feeling very regular. Well, that's good. In terms, uh, in terms of being a guest oh, on oh, podcasts. Oh, I thought you were making a comment about something else. We won't get into that. Um, Chris, of course, one of the authors of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Cincinnati Reds. Chris, I got a good Big 50 anecdote coming for you here uh, later in this episode. What do you think about that? I'm excited to hear it. Uh, I had a good time talking with you the other day. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, if you're a supporter on Patreon, we do at least one a month, uh, sort of an extra episode. And The one that Chris and I did was a... Uh, rehashing a retelling a reminiscence of the 1990 season uh going by the calendar and it was i had a lot of fun that was good chris thanks for doing that yeah my pleasure that was fun um all right so not a lot of, of news this week obviously we're still in the the playoffs the reds are never permitted to uh participate in that and so uh not a ton of news so let's talk about the news then we'll just go viewer mail the rest of the time the, the the big news i guess really the only news this week is the reds announced they have hired alan zinter Great name as the new hitting coach for the team. Obviously, Turner Ward was replaced after just one season. And they've announced they've promoted Donnie Eckert. He was assistant hitting coach, and now he's assistant hitting coach and director of hitting. So, Alan Zinter. <laughs> All this is making me laugh. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's <laughs> the way you're saying the coach's name or if it's the uh, the various and sundry titles Donnie Eckert has now, but I'm amused by it all right now. Is there some other way to say Alan Zinter? Other than I don't think the, so. It's just it's just a fun name. Especially with my ridiculous accent. I'm sure that has yeah. that plays into it as well. Dick Williams, Reds President of Baseball Operations, says the structure for the hitting department will closely follow what we have recently instituted on the pitching side. The organizational philosophy will be articulated and implemented in a consistent way across all levels. What do you make about this this hire? I, we don't know anything about Alan Zinter really. He used to be the Padres hitting coach. He's been in, uh, with uh, he worked with David Bell on the Giants system. Um, so I don't know if we can say anything about his qualifications. But any, any thoughts about the comments surrounding his hire? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm kind of trusting what they do. Um, you know, a year ago we said, "Hey, Turner Ward, that's a cool hire," right. and uh, you no, know, they fired him, and now we've got another guy, and we'll say that's a cool hire. You know it's almost impossible to know what value a hitting coach truly brings to major league level. It seems like what they're trying to do is like you said, really go top to bottom an organizational philosophy, a, a reds way, if you will, about how to think about this stuff. So I, I think that's a good idea. Um, so to the extent that works, that's cool. Um, you know, I liked, I liked the other thing I liked if there's a, a Trent Rose Curran's article on the athletic talking about the interview process they use to, to bring Zenter in and get him, you know, evaluate him and get him to know the people. And that was crazy, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, what they did is they they put him in the batting cage with Julio Murillo, who's the Reds translator for among other things. But uh, and Murillo's a former minor leaguer himself, but they basically had him kind of work him out, do a pregame and and walk him through prep for an you know an imaginary series against the cardinals and uh that makes me think that's what a hitting coach does now is it's about preparation it's about getting 
the hitters ready for what they're going to see in an upcoming game or upcoming series and not about, you know, teaching a guy to keep his back elbow up. <laughs> Get that back elbow up. Classic Little League advice. That's not what they do. I, I, I don't know. I've never been in the cage with them, but I, I'm guessing it's a little bit more cerebral and a little bit less mechanical. I, I kind of think that's what Don Long was doing between 2014 and 2018. Get that back <laughs> elbow up, son. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rare back and rock. That's the what the pitching coach does, I think. That's right. <laughs> no, I on thought, top of it. <laughs> exactly, on top of it. No, I thought that was very interesting, the way they conducted that interview process. And if you have the athletic, uh, if you don't have it, go get it. But if you if you do have it, go read Trent's article because that's uh, it was really fascinating. Um, the way they went about that. I've never heard – other teams probably do this. I don't know. But it's the first time I've heard anything uh, like it with the Reds. Well, it's innovative. Well, he thought it was – he thought it was interesting. That's true. He did I mean, say he, that, yeah. Yeah. He called it Brilliant. Brilliant? Does he know it's I mean, the Cincinnati Reds we're talking about? He probably, I mean, he might have said that before he got the job. <laughs> well, it was a brilliant interview they did. Oh, man. Yeah. I love those, those guys. guys. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I, no, I, I think you're right. Alan Zinter, I don't know him from Adam. Um, and uh, again, you got to kind of trust the process on that. But uh, everything surrounding the process and, and what they're saying are all things that I wish they'd been saying five years ago, but I'm glad they're saying now. Um, I think it's interesting that Donnie Ecker ad, got director of hitting added to his title because we have a director of pitching in Caleb Cotham and a pitching coordinator in Kyle Bodie. And the Reds are really outside the box here um, in terms of just, you know, they, they're really restructuring top to bottom. The, the jockey days are over, I think, is, is what we're seeing. And so I don't know if he's going to be a good hitting coach or not, but I know that I like the process they went through to hire him, and I like the idea that they're trying to streamline everything top to bottom in the organization. And and I hated it when you called it the Reds way a moment ago, though. I got it. Well, you know, because you know what that find sounds something. like. Yeah, I know. Of course, I didn't want to say that word. So <laughs> okay, did I was looking just a, a one minute more on Zinter. I just kind of looked. I, I he said the name was vaguely familiar, but I you know I'm not even sure if it was from a baseball context. But uh, have you looked at his baseball reference page? I have not. I saw somebody tweet out his stats earlier, but I haven't. It's seen. amazing. The guy was a first round pick out of University of Arizona. In 1989, and he did not make the major leagues until 2002, when he was 34 years old. His debut at 34. His debut was at 34, and he had he played in you know about a quarter season for the Astros, and he batted 136, and then he was gone for two more years, and he came back with the Diamondbacks at age 36, and played another 40 at bats, uh, 40 plate appearances. And then he went back down to the minors and played three more years. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this guy really, really loves baseball, I think. That's the definition of a baseball lifer. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. You know, he hit 136 in the major leagues. And uh, for those of you that are, are chortling about that, that's better than you would hit. <laughs> I'm just saying. He knocked three balls out of the park. Oh, you know? There you go. Wow. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, new hire. And we'll see. We'll see if it uh, pays dividends, but I, I like what it symbolizes, I guess, is, is the best way to analyze this. Because you really can't analyze, because, again, what's, what's he really do? And now, specifically with the way the Reds have assistant hitting coach, director of hitting, uh, it does seem like they're defining these roles down. And maybe the game day and, and, and uh, uh, preparation approach is really what the hitting coach is going to do with, uh, you know, other people setting, helping to set policy and uh, – and, uh, instruction throughout the organization it's gonna be fun to watch uh, any other uh anything else happen this week i mean it's really been slow the uh 
the World Series is going on. Did you know about that? I'm enjoying the World Series. I've watched. It's been on the background. I've not paid a ton of attention to it, frankly. Um, but uh, you know, I'm 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 happy with the Nationals. Uh, I'm okay if they win this thing, and looks like they're <laughs> well on their way. So. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, there was a, another interesting article on the on the Athletic today. Joe Posnanski's uh, kind of semi regular column. He pointed out that the uh, that intentional walk last night of Soto was the first one that Astros had done all year long. Wow. And he basically, his, his point was that basically the, the nationals and Soto had broken the Astros that they had yeah. gone away from their, their season long, you know, data driven strategy and basically panicked in the middle of the world series. And he thinks it's obviously very difficult to come back, not only from being down Oh two, but from that. Yeah. And losing, losing the first two at home as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, speaking of Poznanski, uh, he's got a new book out. You, I'm sure you've seen this. I've got it. I've I got have, it. I'm a few chapters in. I well, I, let's see if you notice what I noticed. Uh, I just read the first probably 15 pages today. Uh, it's a book about Houdini, and uh, he made a, makes a point earlier that blows my mind. I went and asked my my kids, you know, who's Houdini? Oh, they obviously they, know who, they don't, couldn't tell you who the president was when Houdini was alive. <laughs> at any time during when he was alive, but he, they know who Houdini is somehow uh, he endures. But page two of Houdini, this, this book, there's a typo. Did you, did you, I, did you notice that? I, okay. I didn't, but I did think I saw a typo and then I looked away and I came back and I couldn't find it. So it's near the top, what did you find? It's near the top of page two. There was a, a, a van I think that was in there that should have been edited out and, it just blows my mind knowing the process that you and I went through to edit and edit and edit and polish and polish. How something like that gets through in a Simon and Schuster published book. Wow. So uh, I'm sorry, Joe. Joe Poznanski is one of my favorites. He's been a friend of the podcast. He's been on the podcast, and uh, uh, I'm not uh, complaining because I'm really uh, going to enjoy this book. I already am enjoying it, but uh, I've been looking forward to it for a while. So anyway, that thought that was interesting. Uh, it's really not that interesting. I should have probably told you that off air. Sorry, Chris. How about some viewer mail? Now, uh, Let's hit it. Yeah, you know, not a lot going on, so every once in a while we do these, I actually build this as an all-viewer mail episode, and then we had a little bit of news we wanted to talk about, so we hit that at the top, but now the rest of it, let's just go to your questions. First group of questions come from our friends and neighbors at patreon.com slash redlegradio, where you too can support the podcast. Joe Farsing has the first viewer mail question, and as always, actual letters from actual viewers. Joe asks, what if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm glad we read that. Yeah. I just, uh, I wanted to say, it because if that's what it's all about, I've got problems because I'm not a fan of the Hokies. And so, um, no Joe, Joe's next. Do the, do, do the Polytechnic Hokies play the hokey pokey during oh, yes. halftime of the football games? Uh, at, is it like Rocky top for at them? Some, at some point. Yes, they play it. Uh, it's really embarrassing. Everything about that school is embarrassing. And uh, I just know that one of my kids is going to end up going to school there. Just Gobble, to... gobble, indeed. <laughs> exactly. Joe had another question. Axel Rose or Pete Rose? <laughs> well, it just so happens uh, that about 20 minutes ago, I was watching YouTube videos with my nine-year-old. who It's a daily battle to get him to practice his piano. Mm -hmm. And so we were watching YouTube videos of cool rock piano songs, the 12 greatest if you're looking on YouTube. Anyway, November Rain by uh, Guns N' Roses 
were was one of the top rock and roll piano songs. Uh-huh. And we had a long conversation about what exactly a Guns N' Roses is. <laughs> do, do, did you ever establish what exactly it is? I, uh, I kind of just took a, a high level <laughs> approach to that, but we didn't. But I, I did not have to explain what an Axl Rose was. But uh, I will vote for Axel over Pete at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably the good call. But I do have a, a Pete Rose anecdote that comes from uh, – I told you earlier I had an anecdote for you, and this is it. Um, my grandmother just turned 92 years old, and she is a just a, sort of a spitfire. She's this uh, 92-year-old, foot ten Italian woman, and just uh, amazing. So uh, she's in a, a, a long-term care facility here that, that they treat her great, and she loves it. And they, every year they have a costume contest. And last year she won the Halloween costume contest. She was a nurse, and she wheeled her uh, roommate around uh, <laughs> the the floor there, you know. And it was great. Well, this year she decided who she wanted to be. Now, um, she's of a generation where you're not going to criticize this guy. She wanted to be Pete Rose for Halloween. And, uh, you know, she's a, I said, she's a Italian girl who grew up in Philadelphia, uh, met a Kentucky boy and ended up, uh, moving down the, this way and, uh, and became a big Reds fan. So she wanted to be Pete Rose. So of course my job was to assemble her costume. So I got a Pete Rose Jersey and, uh, we got her some of the, uh, some, some pants that my son used to wear when he, uh, when he played, you know, little league basically, because she's, she's tiny and, uh, uh, she already had a hat, so she, and, and so we got her you know, a belt and got her stirrups, and it's just fantastic. Well, uh, we took it to her uh, yesterday, and she was just overjoyed by it. She was so excited about it. But then she said, she asked my mom, she said, do you still have that pair of black shoes of mine? And uh, my mom was like, yeah, I've got them. Bring, she said, bring them to me. I have to wear them because Sparky always made them wear ri- uh, black shoes. <laughs> She said, I read that in the Big 50. Yay! <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, Grandma This is died. fantastic. Yeah. Now, I, I'm, you may have said this, I didn't catch it. Did, did you get her a Pete Rose or a Mo from the Three Stooges wig? <laughs> well, she was talking about getting her hair done, and I suggested that we do like a classic Pete Rose bowl cut or whatever, and she didn't really approve, uh, approve of that, but uh, she was talking about getting her hair done. That, that did come up, so I'm going to have to get that uh, but, That's a uh, great story. Anyway, yeah, I enjoyed that story. So, so I'm going to go with Pete Rose this week, just because of that story, not because of Pete Rose. Um, next viewer mail question, and I'm I'm really kind of afraid to read this one, but I'm going to. It's by Philip Razor. He asks, "When am I going to be brought onto the podcast? I'm better looking than Jason. I have a better voice than Doug, and I'm not a lawyer like Garber, so I actually have a soul. Most importantly, Razor equals downloads." Now, Chris, I, I had thought that Philip was had to sign an exclusive contract just to appear on the Hunt for Reds October podcast. So I didn't realize he was a free agent here or that he was a contract player that could uh, go to different podcasts. I, so. I, I, did, I didn't know he was available. Yeah, I mean, how are we supposed to know that? So, so um, we'll, we'll have to see. Let's. I, I what I do. I, I'm I'm very very cautious about the podcast tampering rules. <laughs> exactly. We don't want to violate any of those. Uh, so I think until. Unless and until we can get comfortable, we're not even going to consider it. Yeah, I think we need to be convinced that he has not signed an exclusive deal with any other right. podcast. Um, right. Because, yeah, we don't want to get accused of that. Um, so that's the only reason you've not been on the podcast. 
uh, feel. Also, Razor equals downloads. Again, that's not been uh, actually proven out by the numbers yet, but possibly if we have him on an episode, we'll see. Um, now, I will say that over on Twitter.com, he said uh, he, he talked about the fact that he uh, submitted a question over at Patreon, and he said, I just went full Razor for my viewer mail question for Red Leg Radio. Um, and I think you know what the response is there. You never go full Razor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, Hooper Powell. Uh, Hooper. Yeah. Now, you, you met Hooper in uh, Columbus uh, when yes, we were signing yes. books Hooper's there. Good yeah. dude. Uh, looking at the 40 man roster, and I noticed we have nobody named Travis on it. You know what that seems like? A travesty. Oh my God. This is why my kids Beautiful. hate Beautiful. This, is, why my this is a dead <laughs> podcast of all time. Of all time, yes. Um, that being said, if they can upgrade in left field and shortstop, do you see Travis Darnaud as an upgraded catcher? And he has another question we'll get into in a moment. But um, So I guess my thought on, on that is uh, we're talking about a guy that caught 70 some games. He plays a. Uh, Played DH in first base as well for Toronto, uh, Tampa, not Toronto, um, and is a pretty good player. Uh, you know, um, I guess before this year for, excuse me, Tampa, the Dodgers, and the Mets all, um, and he's currently with Tampa. But uh, you know, he's he had a good season, I guess. But he, I'm not sure that he's be- he's going to be 31 next year. I'm not really entirely sure he's better than what we already have. Um, yeah, I'm not. Uh... I'm not betting that he's going to be better than what they've got, that it's worth going after. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, he's, I, he's a guy I wouldn't mind having. But, you know, I, I don't know that uh, he's going to do any better than Kirk Casale, frankly. Um, Hooper's next question was, any thoughts on uh, his favorite movie? This is Hooper's favorite movie, Into the Wild. Have you seen the movie Into the Wild? I've not. I read the book. Did not see the movie. I do have thoughts on the on the book. Well, he mentioned that it's uh, based on on the book by uh, John Krakauer. I guess how you pronounce his name. I don't. Yeah. No, I didn't now, how? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I'm staggered by the fact that Hooper Powell's favorite film is not the 1978 stuntman action comedy starring Burt Reynolds called Hooper. How is it not? It should be. It should be. I mean, it's close to being my favorite movie. And first of all, Burt Reynolds, Sally Fields in it. Oh my goodness, Brian Keith. It's, yeah, it's a it's a big stuntman. Yeah. All, lots of stunts. Almost as good as Smokey and the Bandit. It's better than Smokey oh, and the Bandit too. No, oh yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, so you got some thoughts on the book? You like the book? I haven't, I didn't read the book. I have seen the movie. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a great book, but uh, I am. You know, I think a lot of people read that book and get, uh, maybe I'm going to take heat on this one, get, they identify with this Chris McCandless guy, the, the young guy who was kind of a, a vagabond and an outdoorsman, and he ended up starving to death in, in the wilds of Alaska. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people kind of identify with this guy, and he's a little bit of a spiritual hero to him and things like that, and I, I couldn't get there at all. I was just very frustrated by everything that happened in that book. By the choices this young man made, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and well, just kind of the kind of the romanticizing of it, I guess, is the part that I didn't like. It's a really well done book, and I love everything else Krakauer's done, but I don't know, I couldn't get there. Yeah, well, the uh, the movie was obviously the story uh, similar, you know, um, and he was kind of romanticized for it, but uh, it was also kind of brutal, uh, as you saw what happened uh, when he's in Alaska living out in the wilderness. It stars. Uh, Emil Hirsch, better known as Speed Racer from the feature film of the same title, Speed Racer. 
Go Speed Racer, go. Is um, that Emil Hirsch from the Crystal Skull movie? Uh, was he in Crystal Skull? Or is that the other guy? No, that's, that's the other guy. The other guy uh, what's that other guy? The, uh, the crazy guy. Um, thank you. Look it up. Scintillating uh, entertainment. Uh, here. No, right. Anyway, uh, the movie was directed by Sean Penn, and it was a really well-directed uh, movie. It was uh, fantastic. Kristen Stewart, uh, who's in one of those, uh, or more than one of those vampire movies, uh, was in it. Um, I thought the movie was really good, really uh, good to watch. Uh, shot in Super 35, for all you film geeks out there know what that means. It's really kind of a gritty... Uh, Sean Penn did a great job uh, directing that. Um, it was it was it was heartbreaking, um, but beautiful because you can imagine filming in uh, Alaska, just simply beautiful. And uh, the part that I liked about it, music uh, was composed by Eddie Vedder. You know who oh. Eddie Vedder is, right? Uh, from uh, Dave Matthews Band. Exactly the lead, the uh, lead of uh, the Dave Matthews Band. Um, so anyway, it's a really good movie. I did like the movie, but it's not Emil Hirsch's best movie. Um, Again, Emil Hirsch's best movie is Speed Racer, or possibly Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, oh, that's right, he's J.C. Bring. That's right. So, um, uh, by the way, Shia LaBeouf is the thank you, yes, famous actor from the other movie. Uh, well, my son was in like fourth grade. He would just walk around the house just yelling out, "Shia LaBeouf." What's, what's that all about? Why? Why would I, I don't do know. That? It's, it's yeah. a fun thing to say. It is. It is. And now I've uh, told uh, the world or all eight people that are listening. Um, including my mother. Hi, Mom. So, anyway, there you go, Hooper. Uh, Kyle Kapler, again, my favorite name every time I read it here. I'm sorry, Hooper, you got a great one as well, but Kyle Kapler. Besides Didi Gregorius or Yasmani Grandal, who would be your top choices to improve shortstop and catcher? Realistically, Omar Narvaez and Jonathan Villar make some sense as long as they made more moves than that. Okay, so um, tell me, I think, uh, if you're just talking about strictly free agents, Gregorius and uh, and Grandall are, are, are my top choices. Now, um, we talked about Narvaez, I think, on our uh, the podcast podcast I was on with uh, Jason Linden. You know, twenty eight year old, good player, um, no issues with him. Uh, would be probably a slight upgrade to what we have. Almost definitely a slight upgrade to what uh, the Reds have. Jonathan Villar has had a couple of really good seasons, including this past season. But I think he's only got one year left on his contract, if I uh, if I remember correctly, and. Uh, if you look at baseball reference, you know, they have the uh, similarity scores. The most, the two most similar hitters to Jonathan VR to this point in his career, Colton Wong and Pokey Reese, followed by Zach Cozart. So, you know, I, I, wow. <laughs> I, I thought Colton Wong was a better offensive player than those dudes. Yeah. Yeah. You would have thought. You would have thought. Um, so, uh, VR, I could handle. Again, it's just one year, but I, I wouldn't mind having him. He's a good player. Um, to me, though, if you're going to upgrade, if you can't upgrade with those guys, we mentioned Gregorius and Grandall. I think you, you're talking about trading for somebody really good, and that just depends on who's available. I don't know. Francisco Lindor is my dream, you know. So uh, I don't think there are any other potential free agents or uh, short-term type catchers or shortstops that really make a ton of sense to me. Any thoughts on that? No, I really don't. I can't think of anybody either. Yeah, Kyle had a second question. If the team held a Halloween costume party. What would Joey Vado's Joey Vado jo, Vado? Easy for me to say. What would Joey Vado's costume be? This is this is easy. This is obvious. Go ahead. Uh, he'd be uh, well. It's not that obvious. I was going to say he'd be a Canadian Mountie because we we've, we've seen him do that. But I'm actually going to shift and say specifically he would be the Canadian Mountie known as Dudley Do Right. Oh, that's a good one. Any other thoughts? Uh, a moose. 
A moose. Okay, there you go. All right, a moose. Um, is there anyone else on the team that you can put in a costume that you're thinking of right now? Who? What would someone else? Anyone else? I think I'd, Amir Garrett would be one of those guys who ri- rides uh, an old-timey bicycle with one giant wheel and one small wheel. <laughs> yes. I've thought that a million times when I've seen no. him. I know. Everybody, I mean, it's kind of obvious. It, it is. It's kind of obvious, though. But I saw a guy riding one of those down the street in my little suburb the other day. <laughs> no. Just randomly? Just like... Down the bike path on the side of the road. Not like a parade or anything? Just... Or, riding a, what do they call this? An ordinary bike or something? Yeah. <laughs> you look, at, look out the window and see it. It's like seven o'clock at night. I don't know what was going on, <laughs> honey. What year is this? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're gonna go with Dudley Do Right. Um, Thomas Dennis asks, as you have shown us to be quite the movie critic and enjoy talking about obscure former Reds. Uh, that's what the last uh, podcast we did, uh, Patreon podcast, was obscure former Reds before the nineteen nineties. That was a fun one. How about your yes. favorite obscure eighties actor slash actress and an eighties obscure movie? Now, I'm going to start with the obscure movie because I don't really know what an, people consider an obscure movie. I'm going to talk right. about a couple here first. Um, I'm going to say Blade Runner, which is not obscure at all. Mm-mm. But I mention it because I watched it this week for the first time ever. Oh, I see. I've never watched it either. Yeah, I don't know how that one had escaped me. Um, and, and I turned it on and watched it, and it shows that the, the title comes up, you know, and it says Los Angeles. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, this big, you know, futuristic Movie I like a good futuristic movie. It said Los Angeles, November, two thousand nineteen. Uh oh. I'm like, oh, that's the future. So if the world's really going to see two thousand. Where do you see two thousand one? Okay, right, exactly. Um, so that movie was good, but that's not probably not obscure enough. Um, maybe Rutger Hauer, who was in that, he might be a good uh, '80s obscure actor to discuss. Uh, he's good. How about Blind Fury? If you're going to go obscure movies and Rutger Hauer, uh, have not seen it. Good. <laughs> he is a. Uh... I, he is a blind man who is, uh, I believe, a vigilante of some sort and, uh, you know, kicks a lot of tail despite being able to not being able to see. Ah. He is a, a blind, according to Wikipedia, a blind sword wielding Vietnam War veteran who returns to the United States and befriends the son of an old friend. He helps the boy find his father who's been kidnapped by a major crime syndicate. I'm in. See? Rutger Hauer with that plot. Uh, now Harrison Ford was in Blade Runner. I probably he would not be classified. I wouldn't think as an obscure actor, would he? <laughs> not no, no probably no. not. Not in the eighties, probably not. So in terms of obscure movie, you know, when Harry Met Sally, that's not an obscure movie, is it? It's not obscure. It's a major major hit. Major major studio hit. Yeah. But man, I wanted to mention it because that was a great movie. But uh, there's an actress in that movie that's really really obscure. Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Tell but, me more. Uh, yeah, just you probably never heard of her, but really mm-hmm. good in that role. Um, she was, she was, she, oh, she's a woman from Joe versus the volcano. Exactly. She played Harry, yeah. I think in this movie, yeah, I yeah. Can't, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, so that was Bruno Kirby. Ooh, <laughs> Bruno Kirby. Yes. Uh, excellent. Bruno Kirby, Kirby reference. Um, no, when Harry met Sally is a great movie. Uh, and I recommend it to anyone. So also another obscure actress in that who I don't think was ever in any other important roles, but Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so Carrie Fisher is likable. Now, what about the Breakfast Club? Is that obscure? Not obscure. It's not, it's not obscure, is it? I can't come up with an obscure movie. You got an obscure so, movie? I've got it. I've got it. I think this. I so this is the thing. If you're our age and you had HBO, none of these movies are obscure. But uh, one that I've been wanting to get to watch again lately is Better Off Dead. 
Oh, yes. I've not seen that in a long time. Yeah. A, a young John Cusack. And then another movie that I've only seen once and I, I want to watch it again um, is To Live and Die in L.A. Never seen it. That's uh, that's pretty good. It's uh, William Peterson, the guy from CSI. And uh, Willem Dafoe is a counterfeiter. And uh, probably the most important thing is that the entire soundtrack is composed and performed by Wang Chung. Oh, can I just say this? Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. Wow. I got to see that. The end. Yeah, I'm not going to see that. Um, I th- I mean, can I get my actor? Oh, yeah, let's hear it. William Atherton. How do I know William Atherton? He is Richard Thornburg in Die Hard, Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, the bad professor from Real Genius. He is basically just a complete dick in every movie he's ever been in. In real life as well, probably. Uh, he seems likable. Yeah. Um, here's my obscure actor. Molly Ringwald. I'm not sure I understand how this works. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I mean, in the 80s, she was just kind of starting out, so maybe not a lot of people knew her. Yeah, she, is, uh, she was in Electric Boogaloo. I don't think she was in Electric Boogaloo 2. No, I think Electric Boogaloo is... Oh, Breaking 2. That is Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo. You're right. Oh, I just yeah. really screwed that joke up. Is she really in that? She She's evidently not. was in that. They could not have gotten Molly Ringwald for Electric Boogaloo. Uh, no, she's in a documentary called Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. So <laughs> she, she, was not, she was not in that. I'm looking at her uh, filmography. She was in obviously Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles. Uh, if you're of a certain age, and she was maybe a little, a little uh, the the years ahead of of us when we were coming of age, but she was uh, pretty popular, pretty in pink, and then but then disappeared. I think she uh, chose to do other things. Yeah, like uh, you know, not being good movies anymore. So, yeah, I think that's her. it. I, mm-hmm. uh, uh, here's a here's a, an interesting anecdote about Molly Ringwald, childhood friend of Adam Carolla. He's going to say that same thing. He, <laughs> he, he doesn't mention that very often, so no. it's hard. Not too many people know that. Right. He doesn't milk it at all. Um, so when Harry met Seth, those are not obscure movies, I guess. I mean, uh, let me just say it's this. It all depends on where you're coming from. <laughs> right. There probably are to some of our listeners. I don't know. Um, what about Anthony Michael Hall? That's kind of, he was a big for a while. He was in some big movies, but I was, he wasn't really a good actor. Not really obscure. He's asking about people like J.T. Walsh. Uh, Paul Gleason. Oh, you know what? Philip so Baker Hall. Anthony Michael Hall was in uh, Freddy Got Fingered. So yeah, that was a, that was a huge hit. So <laughs> big time. All right. So, all right. I don't really understand uh, what obscure movies are, but I- I'll say this, the eighties, the weakest decade for movies since uh, motion pictures began. That may be true. And that's, that's my thought, right? Coming on this after the seventies, which may have been the strongest uh, decade. So, all right. Um, Nathan Connor, Nathan, um, this is a, a pretty good question, but it's it's long. We'll get to all of it, but let's. I, I do want to talk about this a little bit. Last week's reported uh, minor league baseball restructuring hinted at a cut down to 90 full season teams, plus one complex level team by 2026. I believe Dayton should be promoted to the Double A classification. Where would that leave the Reds for their single A affiliation? And he suggests that when the Tampa Bay Rays leave, they, the Reds make a. Uh, a deal with St. Pete to uh, host spring training and their single A ball club and their complex level team as well, um, which I, 
for sure bring it on. Uh, I don't think the Rays are going anywhere, but uh, that's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so, but anyway, what would you think about this restructuring uh, deal? I'm sure you read some about. Yeah, I, I, I think it's well. First off, I think it's a it's a negotiating ploy, right? They they don't really want to cut right. all those teams out, but and I think I, there's some kind of you know it's always about money, and then MLB is trying to. Uh, I think they want some kind of facility upgrades. So I don't, I don't really know how it's going to shake out. Um, and and I, the sta- the minor league stadiums I've been to have been really, really nice and really kind of, you know, modern and, and full service and a great place to, to be entertained and watch a game. So I don't know what these places are. They're talking about cutting down. Well, but I, I think you probably the, you have to agree. Well, you, maybe you don't have to agree. I'll ask if you do agree. Um, the system as currently constructed was kind of cobbled together over the years, you know, and it's really kind of an inefficient way to develop talent, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got these uh, far-flung teams, and they got these like two-year working agreements with these clubs, so you don't really have any uh, longevity. You know, you don't, you're not for sure on the longevity. So you, there's not a whole lot of uh, benefit in the major league team pumping a ton of dollars into facilities because in two years the, the contract will expire and and they may become go become a pirates facility. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, um, I think it's a really inefficient. I think it would could stand for an upgrade. I think you're absolutely right though. It's 100 percent a negotiating ploy, and I would be very very surprised if there's any kind of drastic restructuring. And there may be some on the margins. I mean, you know, I go watch games in the Appalachian League uh, rookie ball and. It's a bunch of guys. It's 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 like high school plus. It's yeah, uh, and and some of those stadiums are kind of uh, questionable. Although the Red Stadium in the Appalachian League is far and away the uh, best stadium, and so um, so anyway, you know, I don't know. I, I I don't know that we need to really get too excited about it yet. Uh, to Nathan's question about where that would leave the Reds for their single A affiliation, I think probably by twenty twenty six, the Reds will actually be a single A level team. <laughs> so maybe that'll. That's what I told somebody. I thought, let's just do the promotion relegation like in European soccer. And I don't think that's going to work out for us. That'll fi- It won't work out for the Cincinnati uh, region, but, uh, you know, it would that would fix the problems of the minor leagues because you have a bunch of teams trying to compete. So Yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts about that restructuring? No, sir. All right. Rich Thompson asks, thank you for discussing some of the less than memorable and unremarkable Reds catchers after Johnny Bench on a previous episode. Now I would like to examine some of the less than memorable or unremarkable infielders in Reds history. <laughs> Here are my top three. Number three, Daryl Chaney. Number two, Doug Flynn. That's Reds radio broadcaster, Doug Flynn. And number one, Junior Kennedy. If you can identify three less memorable or unremarkable Reds infielders, I look forward to your list too. Um, so my, my obscure uh, infielder here would probably be Molly Ringwald. <laughs> No, no, maybe not. She was mostly a first baseman. Okay, so you got who's the one that comes to mind to you uh, off the top well, of your head? Junior Kennedy is a pretty great one. That's that's kind of my go-to as far as uh, just I remember that guy vaguely, and I I don't really know much about him. Um, it's a strong number one selection. It is really good. I mean, yeah. the guys that that I. Uh, and I've kind of blocked out, you know, your Skip Schumachers and stuff like that from the more recent time. But there's a few, like, those infield spots, especially second base, the Reds have had a few kind of like one-hit wonder guys in there, like uh, Todd Walker. Remember Todd Walker played second base for the oh, Reds yeah. for a year and a half? Yeah, I think he was a Rocky. He was actually, yeah, he actually wasn't a terrible 
red either, but uh, just kind of there and gone. And you're, you know, your your friend and mine, D'Angelo Jimenez. Oh yes, love me some uh, D'Angelo Jimenez. Yeah, you know, but uh, I think it's pretty good. I mean, how about Tim Hummel? Is Tim Hummel a an obscure former Red infielder? Uh, I think that he does qualify as a mem- less than memorable or unremarkable infielder in Reds history. Tim Hummel, absolutely. I haven't made very many remarks about him. <laughs> Why not? Oh. Uh, Anderson I, I, Machado. Oh, Anderson Machado, absolutely. What Rayel Mado? Rayel Mado. Now he was a see. He I, he's a little more memorable because he was a guy they drafted. Uh, yeah. And and so you heard about him for a few years. Oh, here comes here comes Rayel Mado right behind. Gooky Dawkins and Pokey Reese. It's <laughs> right. good names in that crew. I think if you're going to talk about uh, unremarkable Reds infielders, I think you really got to go to the eye of the hurricane, which is the 1983 Reds. And, and listen, listen to this group. This is fantastic. You have uh, Kelly Paris. You have Tom Foley. Traded for Pete Rose. There you go. Jeff Jones. Skeeter Barnes. My favorite. Raphael Landestoy. I enjoyed him. And the immortal, rest in peace, Wayne Krenchicki. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's a ton of obscure infielders. Got a ton of obscure players. It's Mario Soto and a cast of thousands. Johnny Bench and everybody else. Yeah. Oof. Yikes. Paul Householder. He's in everyone else. Yeah. Charlie Paleo. Did not pan out. Rich Gale. Same. Um, Tom Hume. Never heard of him. It's called pronounced Hummy. Hummy. Okay. Oh, he's related to uh, Hummel. We mentioned a moment ago. Right. Uh, Keefy Cato. I guess great. I always thought the second E was silent or the thirty. I guess. Well, when I was a you know eight year old or nine year old, whatever, or eighty three. So uh, when I was. Uh, he was Keefy when I got his baseball card. <laughs> All right. So he's always Keefy Cato to me. It's like my uh, my cousin who uh, would insisted as when we were kids that it was the Mariners and the Paters. <laughs> San Diego Paters. Paters. Yeah. Huh? yeah. He never graduated high All school, right. that guy. Well. Sad story. So. What do we got next? All right. Um, Joe Farsing is a hot dog a sandwich. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I, I skipped that question. There you go. I got no answer to this next one. I just don't know, but uh, it's a funny question. I'm going to read it. Maybe you've got a thought. What breed of dogs best resemble the opening day lineup? Suarez, a boxer. Winker, a St. Bernard. <laughs> I, have, I don't even know what that means. It's a great question, Andrew, but I, have, I really don't even know what it means. I don't either. They're not, <laughs> they're not a lot of like doggy looking players on the Reds. Uh, what about Tony Perez? The big dog. Yeah, Tony Perez is a he's a large dog. Whatever kind of dog that would be. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Joe Farsing asks. Uh, Joe got a few questions here. Joe's abusing his uh, Patreon privileges, and I love it. Uh, who was the first player close to your age you remember making a mark on the Reds? Adam Dunn is mine. Although it should have been Kearns. On a related note, Kearns really should have been the right-handed Larry Walker, right? Stupid injuries. Uh, stupid Ray King. Yeah, who, who what, sat on him at uh, home plate. Mm-hmm. No, Kearns was, uh, he's not remembered very fondly. He's remembered as a flame out, but man, that's just injuries. He was, he was really poised to be a st- stud. I mean, he, he was the real deal. Um, first player close to my age, I remember making a mark on the Reds. Um, 
you know, uh, the aforementioned Pokey Reese is in that group, but really probably for me it was Danny Graves. Uh, he was born about the same time as me and uh, made a big mark on the Reds, had a good career for the Reds, ended ignominiously, but um, that's, that's who it's going to be for me, Danny Graves. You got anybody? Yeah, I, I, my recollection is the guy uh, what, who was born like the same year as me was uh, Brett Tomko. Ah, Tomko, yeah. He was kind of the, the number one pick, uh, you know, the year, like he would have been my class in college and stuff like that, so. Did you play against him? I did not. Did you now, oh, you know what? I tell you what, though. Aaron Boone is my age, oh. and my my buddy did play against him in a high school all-star hmm. deal and came back saying, eh, I played against Bob Boone's son. He's really cocky, really <laughs> cocky. wonder why. Which was funny because my buddy was like off the charts himself. So. All right. We're about the same age, so I'm going to join your uh, – those are good choices. Um, Nathan Storff asks – the Obscure Reds Patreon episode made me think of this question. Who are the top five starting pitchers drafted by the Reds organization since 1990? I believe Cueto and Bailey are the only two pitchers who have had success. I'll say this. Cueto wasn't actually drafted, but he was right. originally signed uh, by the Reds. So, yeah, maybe we'll include him in there as a developed by the Reds. Are Molly and Brett Tomko, three and four. Maybe Tim Pugh, Kevin Jarvis, or Lance Davis. I believe they even attempted to start Scott Williamson one year. We clearly do not know how to draft Starting pitching. It's pretty uh pretty ugly. What about I think it's probably Pat Pasillo, you think? <laughs> Scott Scudder? A little too early. Uh yeah, I think that might be it. I don't know. Well, there's a guy named like Lance Davis or something. Yeah, he mentioned Lance Davis. Um uh, you know, yikes. I mean if you go back to guys like Gary Nolan, I mean he was drafted by the Reds and Wayne sure, Simpson, but I, Don Gullett. Didn't but, he what did he, did he say after some year? I, I thought I don't know. What, what am I supposed to read the questions and answer yeah, them? Fair, yeah, he, said, he did say since 1990. All right, Chris, you're a stickler for rules. I've noticed that. Right. right. Um. So uh, let's see. Let's look at what we got here. Um. C.J. Nitkowski. Yeah. Ty Howington. Dustin Mosley. That's brutal. Jeremy Sowers. Christopher Grueler. Good. Grief. He had a better better curveball than uh, Tom Seaver. Ryan Wagner. Oh Name for Ryan. No one Ryan. Kyle Lotzker. No. Um, Mike Leak. That's that's got to be it, right? Mike Leak's got to be in that it's list. It's Mike Leak. It's Mike Leak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bailey, Mike Leak, Cueto. If you include Bueller. Lorenzo. Tom Coe. Yeah. Tom Graves. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a few, but man, there's not. They've not made much of a mark, have they? No, no. Oof. Oh, well. Um, let's see here. Uh, Nathan Price, uh, one good question that we can't get to because it's, uh, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of names. So we're going to go to your, Nathan's next question. Where do you fall philosophy-wise now that we have Derek Johnson, the Reds pitching coach Derek Johnson, spend little to nothing and sign several relief options and see what he can work with or spend some money and get one to two legit proven arms? I presume he's talking about bullpen because he mentions Araldus Chapman, Will Smith, and Will Harris. Um you know, I, I don't ever want to say spend little to nothing and just hope he can, you know, Derek Johnson can work magic. That's the way the Reds have operated for the last 25 years. Um, but I don't know that the relief is a place that's really high on my list for where I would spend money anyway, because I'm just not sure that you're bang for your buck in terms of bullpen arms, because you don't know from year to year who's going to be any uh, good in the bullpen largely. Um, so you got any thoughts about that one? 
I'm I've always been a don't pay relievers type of guy. And the other part of it is every everybody says, "Oh, the Reds bullpen," but every team has the same problems. With the way the game is right now and uh, the way relievers are used, every team needs relief pitching. So it's not just the Reds. So you're going to overspend probably, and I'm not sure I'd want to do that on the, the bullpen. Uh, Nathan also asks, thoughts on the Reds signing a Japanese center fielder? And he mentions, of course, uh, Shogo Akiyami, um, who's uh, really good in Japan, but also 32 years old. So, you know, and I don't have any thoughts on him, that guy as a player. I don't know anything about him as a player other than what I've read. And my thoughts on the Reds signing a Japanese center fielder are these. Sure. I mean, you know. <laughs> if, <laughs> That's exactly what I said when I read the question. I was like, yes, okay. Yeah, if there's somebody good, it helps the team. Why yeah. not? It's not my money. <laughs> we had we, we had a, uh, a Korean center fielder that was really good. I liked him. Shin Su Chu. Um, no, I think the, the question that Nathan's really getting at, though, is that the Reds are about the only team that's never signed a player out of Japan. And uh, I think that um, I do I do have some thoughughts on the Reds signing a Japanese player. I, I feel like they've kind of eliminated one market, not a huge market for players, but it's they've eliminated a market where you may be able to get some talent, and it's come back to to uh, I mean, not to haunt them. I guess I wouldn't say that, but I don't think the Reds can waste any opportunity to uh, you know win on the margins. Does that make sense? Yep. So yeah, sure, go sign ten Japanese center fielders. Um, <laughs> woo the Reds asks at patreon.com slash redleg nation redleg radio. Excuse me, I don't even know the the, the handle. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of best-looking Reds in franchise history? Now, this is probably we could do a full podcast on this one. Yeah, the Mount yeah. Rushmore of best-looking Reds in franchise history. Now, I think we have to begin with this. There's only one person that's kind of a absolute 100% definite for this Mount Rushmore, and that's David Weathers. Ron Robinson. Ron Robinson would would be on there certainly. Um, uh, okay. No, seriously. Uh, Barry Larkin would have to be on there for real. No, Glenn Braggs. Glenn Braggs, full like a like a sitting bull, full body statue. Yeah. For like the next seventy years, we have to carve it. Uh, right. Yeah. But with uh, yeah, with uh, with Glenn Braggs, it can't be just his head. Absolutely, it's got to be. Uh, I guess it's crazy horse, not sitting bull. But there, there you, you know go. what I mean. Uh, oh, I, believe me, I know what you mean. No, no. Uh, best looking Reds. Uh, you know, on the current so, bunch. Uh, you know, I think Aaron Boone might be on that list. What do you think about that? Uh, nice looking man. Yeah, Tony Mullane, if we want to get uh, ah, factual, right? There you go. Uh, Tony Mullane, I think we may have mentioned in the Big 50. Did, did that make it in? I think we had a, I don't. I think it might get cut, but. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I barely participated in the writing of that book. I just let Chris put my name on it. Right. Um, try to move Try to move copies. Right. Uh, but Tony Mullane was. Right part. A pitcher in the uh, 1890s who uh, was white and uh, 1900s that was widely considered a uh, a, a ladies' man. Can you yeah, say? Did they, they specially like supposedly anyway schedule ladies' day games when Milan would be pitching so that the the gals would get a treat? That was the reports. Um, yeah, and and you know you want the gals to get a treat. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think we're probably just going to have to go with either. Uh, so, yeah, well, how about Amir Garrett? We mentioned him earlier. He's he's probably uh, he's probably on that list. Good looking guy. Um, uh, 
I don't. Know. I heard Jared Hughes was the best dressed red <laughs> yeah. when he was on the roster. He was Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with David Weathers. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not going to argue about it. There you go. Tweet at us who your Mount Rushmore is, and and woo. I'll expect to hear your. Mount Rushmore best looking Reds in franchise history. All right, a few more. We'll rapid fire these, and then we'll uh, then we'll get out. Uh, these uh, last ones come from uh, Twitter.com slash Redleg Radio. Uh, Trevor Valero, we've already given you thoughts on the new hitting coach, uh, but good question. Um, Beasy at Burke Franklin asks, who has a better chance of being in the rotation next season, Anthony DiSclafani or Tyler Malley, hash brown viewer mail? I think both. I think they're both going to be in the rotation pretty much all year. Unless one of them gets hurt, yeah, they're, they're both in the rotation. And who do I prefer? Uh, I still everybody's down on Tyler Malley, but I still think this Tyler Malley could be the second best uh, starter in the team next year. Um, and now that's that's a hot take, obviously. Bold uh, words, but I think he's got that kind of ability, and uh, we'll see. But I, 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 I like both of them. Uh, Mister Saturday Night asks, "What's your perfect breakfast?" I presume he's talking about his Sunday morning breakfast because this is Mister Saturday Night. Your perfect breakfast. You got one. My, to me, it's 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 you know it's it's classic, but it's uh, you know it's, it's classic for a reason. Just uh, you know, uh, eggs and eggs and bacon. Wakey wakey, eggs and bakey. Yeah. Uh, my grandma used to make biscuits and gravy that were pretty darn good. It's a solid choice. Homemade biscuits, homemade sausage gravy, country style, if you will. Love it. What about a little uh, little country ham with that? Uh, you know. I was never I was never a ham eater when uh, my grandma was around, so I can't I can't vouch for it. But I'm sure it would have been great. No doubt, no doubt. Sydney Price at Trans Reds fan asks, "Who should the Reds pursue pitching wise?" Uh, Garrett Cole, um, Matt Scherzer, Justin Ver- Verlander looks good. Justin Verlander, um, Cy Young, Cy Young, at Tony Mullane. Um, the Reds should pursue the best pitchers available. I, th- I think, you know, we can talk about names, and I, but we don't really know who's available. But the Reds need to be trying to acquire players that are going to help them compete with the other teams that actually try. And so um, I think the Reds should be out there. I think they should uh, kick the tires on Garrett Cole, who's going to be a uh, free agent. He's not signed back with the with the Astros yet. Um, I, you know, I think that's, they need to at least be checking in on those guys. I'm tired of the Reds deciding they can only uh, shop in the uh, used car lot, you know, for for a mid-level uh, minivan. It's time to start uh, looking uh, looking higher. Maybe even get a like a Chevrolet. No, no, I, that that really didn't work at all. You got any thoughts on that? Uh, no, not really. Sydney also asked, "What are some tips for someone that's wanting to start a podcast?" Uh, the first tip is this: get yourself one of them crazy accents. <laughs> and then record it. Um, you know, tips, I can give you some specifics, and we can talk about that, uh, uh, Sydney, sometime uh, off the air here a little bit because there are you know, some specifics on it. But it's, it's easy. It, there's there's not much of a barrier to entry in this game. So just come up with a good topic, which I didn't do, but it's one that some people seem to have connected with. Um, find yourself a specific topic and uh, and record it. Put them out regularly. That's the biggest tip is, is put them out. This podcast really didn't get, uh, it's not popular anyway, but it didn't start uh, getting downloads really regularly until we did it. We made a point to do it every week, uh, you know, put it out every Friday. So um, that's my tip. You got any podcasting tips, uh, Chris Garber? What you're supposed to ask for five-star reviews. Oh, and, right. 
and then uh, send people to Squarespace. Exactly, but we don't have a Squarespace page yet. Oh. We do have redlegradio.com, but it just directs to our page at, at Redleg Nation. I, I'm just looking at Sydney Price here on Twitter, and, and Sydney is a, uh, a native of my hometown, so ah, shout out right? to the Vikings out there. Absolutely. Um, the Vikings, yes. Love me, love me those Vikings. Go high school football squad. Go team. Seniors rule. Hey, I'm going to my first high school football game since I was in high school this week. Well, uh, you're you're going to have to keep reminding yourself of what you were like back then. <laughs> right, right. And otherwise, you're you're going to want to. Yeah, I've been, just I've been roping to going. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Um, Sydney had another question: Should the Reds sign Marcel Ozuna? And um, the answer to all these is yes. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm not a fan of Marcelo Zuna, but he's he's an. Don't you think he's an upgrade? Maybe just a slight upgrade, but an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if they uh, look, I, the the Reds front office has come a long way, but I still don't believe they're going to sign Marcelo Zuna for a whole bunch of money for a long time. And if he's not good enough, put him on the bench. So to me, it's not about the money; it's about like blocking somebody better when he's. Not really producing, which I think is what's going to happen. Well, yeah, at some point, but I think over the next two couple of years, he's probably uh, an upgrade. I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I love Jesse Winker. I like what he and Urban can do as a platoon. Um, I'm ex- terribly excited to see what Aristides Aquino is going to do, but I'm not entirely comfortable with the Reds, and I've said it before here, with the Reds going into opening day with that being their corner outfield. Spot. No, I agree. Yeah. The, 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 something I heard the other day, I think it was on the. Uh, the athletic Reds podcast was the, the production the Reds got out of right field. Have you, have you heard this? Uh, I haven't heard that podcast and I'm a little disappointed. You're listening to other podcasts besides uh, red leg nation radio, Chris Garber. I'm scouting for talent oh, like okay. razors and such. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I looked up, uh, I think for a piece that I wrote at the Cincinnati uh, magazine, which you clearly didn't read. Um, the Reds were really low in terms of uh, production at almost every position, but yeah, certainly outfield as well. What, what did well, it say? Right, well, no, right field. I think their right fielders combined for like 49, 40, 47 home runs. Um, Between Puig and uh, – no, my, uh, my brain has just lost the name of the right fielder we were just talking about. Aquino? Aquino and Puig and Philip Irvin, they had 47 home runs when they were playing right field. Uh, okay, that's a lot of home runs. That's good, but by uh, you know, I'm gonna have to find it here. Um, what I what I wrote about. So again, here's some scintillating uh, podcasting. But uh, to remember the exact numbers. But the Reds uh, right fielders. Oh, where is it? Come on. Yeah, here it is. Forty-seven home runs, but two sixty-one, three sixteen, five twenty-six. Okay, the Reds uh, right fielders tied uh, combined for one point three wins above replacement which is tied for 11th best in the National League. That's shocking. Yeah, yeah. So um, not as bad as left field, which was 1.1 wins above replacement, which which was 13th in the league. So the Reds really only had one position where they were above average, um, which was third base, uh, obviously. Catcher was ninth in the league, first base 12th, disappointing. Second base 13th, shortstop 13th, left field 13th, center field 13th, right field 11th. So. But 47 home runs there. 47 home runs, that's a lot of home runs. And 122 RBI. Oh, the ribeye stakes. 
Mm-hmm. Not bad. Um, all right, two last questions here. Let's get them in. Coop at Ono oh Coop, which is the most apt Twitter handle ever. <laughs> asks, when is the Red Leg Nation Hunt for a Reds October crossover event? Now, Hunt for Reds October, obviously uh, another fine Reds podcast um, of the not safe for work variety. But if you're not around your kids, it's a it's a fun listen. Um, <laughs> But, uh, Coop, I think, I think what I'm hearing here is I'm starting to see the makings of, uh, something to do with Phil Razor, right? He could be the, he could be the, he could <laughs> the be bridge, the bridge to something. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we can, uh, maybe at Reds Fest, we can have a huge, uh, on the, on the main stage, a huge, uh, com- combined podcast. <laughs> that's, that's right. 6.45 AM. <laughs> yeah. I want to see what Coop does on the main stage. Uh, last question from Joe D at JD No 07. Hash Brown viewer mail. Do you think Anthony Rendon could still be a realistic free agent option even after the success the Nationals are having so far? Uh, I don't know that he was ever realistic. I think he should be. I think the Reds really need to go after him hard. Um, but that's a question we had on our Slack channel. Do you think that the the Nationals, assuming they win, let's assume they win the World Series, does that make it more or less likely that they bring Rendon back? I think you can argue both ways. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they they were willing to let. I mean, they they let Bryce Harper go. And they hadn't won a World Series. Yeah. And uh, listen, I'd always said that the fact that they let Harper go might make them more willing to really, uh, you know, uh, drop some cash on Rendon so that they don't have two years in a row where their star. You, know, you can argue that Soto may be their star after this October. But Rendon's, Rendon's having a great postseason. Um, so I I don't know if he's real. I don't know if he was ever realistic. I don't know if he wants to leave Washington. Although, why wouldn't you? Um I've lived in Washington. Uh, actually, I enjoyed living there. But uh, I, do you agree, though, that he should? The Reds absolutely should not break the bank, but really be aggressive in trying to convince him to come to Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's the best one out there, and he's the one that moves the needle the most. We've talked about some of these other guys, you know, that uh, Travis Darnall and some of these other guys that we've talked about earlier. They don't really move the needle that much. They would maybe Marcelo Zuna. He's probably an upgrade, but he doesn't right. really move the needle that much. No, I think I think Grandall and and obviously someone of Rendon's caliber are really the difference makers. Absolutely. All right, you uh, you all know where to subscribe to the podcast. At uh, everywhere you find your podcast, we're there. Go leave us those five star reviews. Chris was uh, talking about. Tell your friends about us as well. As we always say, if if you like us, talk about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Um, follow us on Twitter at cgarber8 at Dotson C. Uh, at Red Leg Radio and then RedLegNation.com, where we're talking about the Reds every single day and have been since 2005. Chris, any final thoughts for our audience? Have a great uh, day, whatever day you listen to this. <laughs> for Chris Garber and Keefe Cato, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.